Welcome to Money Mavericks and Mayhem, the podcast where finance meets audacity in a whirlwind of insight and excitement. Join hosts Adri Blyer and Ryan Duchak as they bring you closer to the stories of risk takers, rule breakers, and boundary pushers who are reshaping the financial landscape. Perfect for seasoned investors, budding entrepreneurs, or anyone curious about the tumultuous world of money. This is Money Mavericks and Mayhem. Welcome to another episode of Money Mavericks and Mayhem. Our episode today opens with a deep exploration into the life of George Soros, a figure whose influence on the global financial markets and beyond is both profound and, at times, polarizing. Soros, known for his philanthropic efforts and political activism, is also celebrated and critiqued for his financial acumen. Adri, Soros's story is pretty complex and layered. So where do we begin with it? Right. Uh, yeah. So George Soros's journey in finance is indeed remarkable, marked by bold strategies and big bets. Um, born in Hungary in 1930, Soros survived Nazi occupation before emigrating to England and then to the United States. His career in finance began, began in New York City, where he worked at several investment firms before founding Soros Fund Management in 1970. And this would become the vehicle for his most famous financial exploits. So his story is it's a testament to resilience. And Soros is perhaps best known for <laughs> breaking the Bank of England, for lack of a better way to say it. Yeah. Uh, can you get into that? <laughs> certainly, yeah. Um, so the event that, that you're referring to took place on September 16th, 1992, known as Black Wednesday. Soros it was convinced that the British pound was overvalued and that the UK would have to devalue its currency or leave the European exchange rate mechanism, making a massive bet against the pound. He shorted an estimated $10 billion dollars worth of pounds. When the pound was devalued, Soros's fund reportedly made a profit of $1 billion in a single day. It's a pretty solid day at work. It's a good day at work. Yeah, it uh, it's kind of incredible. So uh, Soros's strategy and its outcomes have been studied uh, often by fan financiers and economists. Uh, what, what do you think kind of drives his investment philosophy. Yeah, I mean, Soros is such a polarizing and interesting character, and we are just talking about his financial um, Yeah, we're not career. getting, we're not getting into right, not in any of that, so don't misunderstand that. Um, but Soros is driven by a philosophy that he calls reflexivity. Uh, it's the idea that market participants' biases and actions can influence market prices and fundamentals, creating a, a feedback loop that can move markets away from equilibrium, if you will. Uh, the approach led him to identify market bubbles and trends before they became apparent to others. Soros's success is not just in his financial acumen, but also in his understanding of the psychology of the markets. Reflexivity. Interesting word. Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's a concept that seems to underscore much of his thinking beyond just his financial endeavors. Yes. He's also known for his philanthropy and uh, probably most well-known for his political act. At least recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So how how do these aspects of his life interact with his identity as an investor? Well, you know, if you, if you kind of look at this, Soros has often said that his financial success has given him a de- degree of independence uh, that allows him to address the societal issues he cares about, right? So through the Open Society Foundation, he donated billions to causes ranging from democratic governance and human rights to education and public health, philanthropy, and his investment activities reflect a broader vision for the world. It's broader, his broader vision for the world, let me, let me say that, uh, one where markets serve society and opportunities for open and democratic societies are expanded. I am not going to take that bait <laughs> and make a comment on that. But it's pretty clear that, that Soros views finance as a tool, which not just for personal gain, but to be able to be used for a broader societal benefit, even if that is based on his personal viewpoints and preferences. His career has been both celebrated and highly criticized. So what can we learn from the controversies that have surrounded George? There's, I think there's a lot to learn. And it's, you know, it's clear, and I think it's a par- part of the problem that we have today with, um, you know, we have billionaires. And there's only so much money for your personal use. You know, when you, so when you get to these, you're a billionaire, you, you can't spend that amount of money. So now you say, okay, let me use it for the greater good of the people. But that's always the greater good of the people the way I see it could be done, and that's why it becomes so uh, controversial, right? Um, do what I say. Or do what I'm I, taking my money back and I'm, going home. I'm going home, right? Uh, but I think Soros's career illuminates the the power of financial markets to influence nations in global policies. The controversies, whether they stem from his market activities or his political contributions, they highlight that intersection of finance politics, and society. Um, so for investors and observers, Soros's life is a reminder of the profound impact financial decisions can have beyond the markets, shaping economies and societies. And I think that's very powerful, especially for today, because it seems with the advent of the internet and the information that people are able to get, that, that the masses are having a better understanding that Politics is influenced greatly by money, money. Uh, <laughs> right? Getting a in that's a whole nother ball of wax, right? But seeing just watching the news and, and take your political side out of it, every political race, all the news talks about is how much money they have raised, and there is a what seems to be a very direct correlation between the amount of money you raise for your campaign and winning. Mm-hmm. If I raise more than you, I win. Right. Not anything to do with me being a better political option or anything like that. It's how much, yeah, and 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 who am I cowtailing to? And you know, if you want to go down that road of people today, kind of call it conspiracy theory. Also, although it's not as much of a conspiracy anymore. Um, but if you want to go, you know. Who's really making the laws? Uh, so who's funding the people that are actually making the laws is the question that a lot of, at least Americans, are starting to ask, which is a good question. Uh, yeah, I, on a side note, last night was uh, 
looking at a proxy vote and oh. it I'm um, well it was Walt Disney mm-hmm. they are having a, a board proxy battle at the moment and one of the questions that was asked which because it's on their proxy material I can state it uh the board is against and that's reporting and disclosing where they make political contributions to well that's company isn't that great they do not want to disclose that to their stockholders or the general public yeah yeah. it uh it's scary that's scary because it shouldn't even be a vote it should be a mandate yes you should have to disclose that absolutely i I won't go into the other items on there but that should be part of our regulations but the people who are donating to the campaigns of the people who are the bosses of the regulators. Don't want you to know. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's strange. So George Soros's legacy in, in finance and beyond, quite frankly, it's, it's multifaceted. Between his speculative activities that broke the Bank of England to his philanthropic efforts aimed at fostering open societies, Soros kind of embodies the role of a maverick in the truest sense. So, Adrian, thank you for getting into such a nuanced overview of of this financial and political titan's yeah. life and impact. Of course, uh, Ryan. You know, Soros' story, it really is it's a compelling reminder uh, of the role of vision, uh, of the role of risk, and of the role of responsibility in the world of, of finance and, and beyond, really. Right. Up next, we will explore the intriguing world of short selling that a lot of people are interested in but do not quite understand what it is. And it's a strategy that Soros mastered. So stay tuned. Endurance sports, swimming, biking, or running can be a great way to stay healthy and fit as well as test your physical and mental strength. Having a dedicated coach provides accountability and structure for the athlete's training, ensuring that the healthy lifestyle is maintained. With their guidance and expertise, Victory Multisport coaches are able to challenge athletes to not just reach their personal goals, but dig deeper into themselves and achieve things they never thought were possible, pushing them out of their comfort zone with confidence. They will create a customized training plan and provide motivation when times get hard so you don't lose sight of the desired outcome. Being part of Victory Multisport offers tangible results that allow anyone to surpass their greatest expectations. Reach out to the coaches at Victory at info at victory-multisport.com. That's I-N-F-O at victory-multisport.com. Victory Multisport is not affiliated with LPL Financial or the Monteverdi Group. And we're back. Transitioning from the strategic maneuvers of George Soros, let's dive into the mechanics of short selling, a tactic Soros famously utilized. So Ryan, short selling is often mentioned in financial news, but its workings remain a mystery to most. Uh, Could you demystify this a little bit for us? I certainly can, and, and it is it is complex, so I, I'm going to go pretty high level with this. But ultimately, short selling, in essence, is, is when you as an investor borrow a stock 
that that you anticipate will decrease in value. So then you sell that at the current market price, the stock that you borrowed, and then you aim to buy it back later at that lower price. Okay. Now the difference between the sell and the buyback price is the profit. So if I sell something that is valued today at 100, I, I borrow the shares, I sell them at the market price of 100. Now my goal is to then buy them back at, let's call it 80. Mm -hmm. That's a 20% gain that I made. And I buy those shares back at 80 to give back what I borrowed. So I borrowed somebody's car, sold it on their behalf, and then I need to replace that car at some point. And and my goal is to buy it buy it at a lower price. Now, where I can get really hurt when doing this is if, if I'm wrong. If you're wrong. And it goes from 100 to 200. I still owe that lender those shares back. So this... Uh, so it's very contrarian, uh, right? I mean, it's to what people are normally thinking about with, with the stock market. It almost sounds like this is where people get the feeling of um, the stock market's just like going to Vegas, right? And, and, and just putting everything on, uh, it's just really betting. Where, you know, I think the fundamental or theoretically the fundamentals of the stock market, you can make educated decisions about your investing. But in this case, I mean, you're making educated decisions, but you are really placing a bet. Um, and you could you could seriously get get injured. So what do you think that that those risks are involved in in short selling? The, it, it, it comes with its own set of risks, primarily because it it flips the traditional investment strategy on its head. Mm -hmm. like like you said, the the traditional thought process to investing, buy a quality company. Long term, you hold it, it goes up in value, you get dividends. We've done this in the past. That's the traditional strategy. This is, I'm betting that XYZ company is not worth what it's priced at today. Right. It's overpriced. So I'm going to bet against that and think it's going to lose value. Since there's no limit on how high a stock price can go... <laughs> The potential losses are theoretically unlimited. Wow. This makes short selling highly speculative and a risky strategy that it, it really requires very careful analysis and a solid exit plan. And it is not, not I'm trying to think of how to say this. I don't want to say an unsophisticated investor. But someone who hasn't been doing this for a long time and truly understands the ins and out of it, it's very dangerous. Yeah. It, it, you think everything's going to go easily. And if the stock market takes a big run, then when do you get out? Right. And there's no floor. If I bought that company at $100 today per share, it, I know my floor. It's zero. Mm -hmm. I can lose $100 per share that I buy. Mm-hmm. If I short it at $100, there's no floor. Right. It can go to $1,000 a share. Guess what? I need, and I need to pony up that money. Right. It's not even necessarily all, like when I buy that stock at 100, I've spent my money. It's not in my pocket anymore. When I'm short selling it and have to buy back, hey, 
we need the cash. Uh-huh. And it, I think I've seen some movies like that, like maybe uh, Goodfellas or, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody's knocking on your door, breaking right. these. I mean, there are some one of the um, probably most famous movies about in reference to short selling is The Big Short. The Big Short, yeah. Um, great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's it it is I mean it, it's using financial instruments, but it wasn't shorting stocks necessarily. Uh he was he was making a bet it, back in 2008 with the I forget what they're they're calling it today, the the mortgage crisis still. Oh yeah. Um, he was he, he was making a bet that real estate was overvalued and and he placed some bets against some financial instruments that were tied to the value of real estate. So he was shorting that and ended up, uh, it's a great movie. I, I don't want to ruin it. So watch it. And, and, and if you live through it. 2008, you know what happened. Well, it, this will actually add some, some insight. Possibly oh, for sure. If, yeah. 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 Um, the, there's some, and I shouldn't say, you know what happened, but you know what the ultimate effect was. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. It's so uh, obviously that that concept, right? That 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 concept of unlimited losses is, is certainly I mean, what daunting is. Probably not even scratching the surface of the of the word that I'm looking for. But how do how would an investor manage that type of risk? Well, that risk management for short selling it involves several different strategies, actually. So setting up stop loss orders can help limit potential losses, which a stop loss order is automatically buying back the stock if its price reaches a certain level. So you can basically program uh, program it to, if it goes up, if I shorted it at 100 and I want to set a stop loss at, at 110, uh, if It'll the price goes above there, it, an order will automatically get triggered, be sent to the market, I'll buy it back at 110. All I lost was ten dollars per share. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems smart. I shouldn't say all I lost, right. but I'm I'm limiting that. Uh, additionally, through research, market analysis, those are crucial to to making informed decisions. Due diligence, due diligence, due diligence. Say, are, you, are you saying due diligence in a different word? Um, and, and then ultimately, some investors will will they'll still diversify short positions across various sectors or assets to spread the risk. Uh, some investors also diversify their short positions across various sectors or assets and spread the risks ultimately. Yeah, that makes sense, you know. So, um, and it's really, it really is very interesting. And it, But given the risks, I mean, it just seems with without anything stopping you, like you were talking about, having that, that bet placed, if you will, uh, that stop loss, it seems very risky, but so why do investors really engage in in short selling anyway? Several reasons. Uh, the first one I'll say is the shiny object. It's sexy. Mm-hmm. It's not boring. Buying whatever stock I bought or my grandmother brought bought, excuse me, in 1950 and has owned for the dividends for the past 70 years is it's boring. It's boring. Yeah, just, it's, yeah, it's not sexy. Short selling is what what you talk about, mm-hmm. especially when you win. That's when when That's I tell exciting. all my friends, I I'm crushing it. I made tons of money short selling. Well, I'm gonna not tell you about all the money I lost too. Right. So it's the allure of of high returns from a successful short bet. 
Uh, it's like gambling. Why do people gamble? Right. It's an adrenaline rush. Um, other people will use short selling as a hedge to offset potential losses in their long positions, especially in volatile markets. Um, short selling, it can provide liquidity to markets that that it need a con- contribution to price discovery by correcting overvalued stock prices as well. So it seems that short selling really does play a significant role in in market dynamics. Uh, can you share an example of a successful short sell aside from obviously George Soros's uh, famous one? Um, well, the, the probably the most notable for current times is the one I already gave. Um, the two thousand eight. Yeah, the two thousand eight financial crisis. Many investors they they recognize that the housing bubble was just unsustainable in the risky mortgage practices that were being used. So they took short positions against the housing market and financial institutions that were heavily invested in mortgage-backed securities, invested in that housing market. And those who timed their positions well, they realized significant profits when, when the markets collapsed. But if you watch that movie, The Big Short, there's a lot of stress in that because if time is a big factor of when, you might be right. It's... One of the things we talk about with like current currently interest rates, where in the economy, where are interest rates going to go? Well, they they should be going here. When? Right. Uh, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So if I'm six months early to the to the short, and it keeps pumping up and pumping up, I might hit my stop loss. I might hit if I didn't listen to this podcast and didn't put a a stop loss on, I might hit my kind of crucial point of no return where the, it keeps going up and I say, I can't afford this any longer. I need to cover this short and and buy the stock back. And then it goes down. Right. So you dropped out right before, which would be my luck. I mean, that's just the way my, <laughs> my life always goes. So no. Okay. So it is it, it, a testament to, to the power of the market insight and timing, as you said. Um, so on the flip side, short selling uh, of course, has its critics. Uh, what are the what are the criticisms of using this strategy? Probably the biggest critique is the argument that short selling can exacerbate market downturns, creating unnecessarily unnecessary volatility. So, when when somebody sees a downturn begin and they jump on board, and I think I forget which episode we talked about. Um, algorithmic trading, mm-hmm. when that algorithm picks up prices going down, it might create a short and and really exacerbate that, that downside. There's also concerns about the ethics of profiting from a company's misfortune. Um, for some of you rolling your eyes about companies' ethics in America, no comment. But the the... Ethical argument is kind of especially in cases where short sellers might have spread negative rumors mm-hmm. to drive down that price. I mean, you want your bet to win. And if you have a loud enough voice with the power of the internet, all of that fun stuff, you come out and and say, hey, I really think this company's in for, for trouble right after you shorted it. Mm-hmm. That's market manipulation at its finest. And... 
there's it's really hard to hold people accountable for that because that might be your true feeling. Right. It's a lot of I it shorted is it because, because I think I it's bad. Right. Did and then I... I came out public and said it's bad. Mm-hmm. And then it went down. So is it a self-fulfilling prophecy that I created on my own? Or did I just say, hey, right. I've got a loud voice? And it reminds me of, I mean, recently, a little bit different, obviously, but but the whole GameStop kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is really market manipulation. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. There, it's You create frenzies in, inside of a market with GameStop as a perfect example. GameStop's valuation at that time when people were, I forget what they call it, meme stock. Um, yeah, yeah. When Reddit, Wall Street bets, all of that fun stuff was extremely popular. It, it really, whose fault is that? If I say, and, and that happens in Bitcoin, all of, all of the frenzies and mayhem that, that we discuss on the show, a lot of it is, it's not correlated to the actual value of the company, but it's more about investor sentiment, yeah. which is important in investing. It, that matters. Absolutely. And is something you should do your due diligence on. But at the same time, what's the cause of it? What, right. And with all the information, as we talk about, I mean, just if you're looking just from a political standpoint, it's so hard to tell what's what's true and what's not anymore because there's just too much information. And if, if there's true information that out there that people don't want you to know or want you to doubt, all they have to do is just flood it with misinformation or malinformation. And now you have no idea what is right or, or, or wrong. And it becomes it becomes very difficult. Um, and it's, you know, it's a... It's a complex strategy um, with both. (laughs) You're absolutely right. It's difficult because the counterpoint to those critiques is short selling provides a necessary check on the overvaluation and it contributes to accurate market pricing. So you can make an argument to me saying this is bad because you're adding to to downsides and and you're doing all of these bad things to a company and and I can step on the other side of the street and say, yeah, but if it keeps going up, nothing's keeping that in check. So what kept GameStop in check during that time? And ultimately what that, what GameStop was, was I'll call it the small everyday individual investor trying to fight against short sellers Right. Somebody, and I won't name names, mm-hmm. but a couple big hedge funds we're shorting, were shorting GameStop, saying it's not valued. And, and basically a bunch of gamers right. got together and got on uh, some individual trading platforms um, and w- said, we're taking you down, basically. And we love GameStop. We yeah. love video games. We love their company. In in my personal opinion, the short sellers, the hedge fund managers, were correct in the assumption that GameStop was a fledging, flailing company and not worth what it was showing on paper. So their short was right, but these gamers came out and were like, nope, nope don't. We, we love our game. Don't mess yeah, with it. Don't, don't mess with it. Don't pee in my Wheaties. I'm, <laughs> you're telling me my company's bad or my favorite company is bad? Uh-huh. Nope, not happening. And- they did some damage. Yeah, big time. It, big time. It was 
that's a whole nother conversation, yeah. but it was kind of interesting to see the power that the people, the, the small people I'll say had over these giant hedge funds. And I'm talking billions of dollars oh, yeah. lost giants. Um, and it was, it's a, there, if you're interested in that story, um, there's a documentary on it on Netflix, I think, which was really good. Hmm. I forget what it's called. It's called, it's something GameStop. I don't It's pretty easy to it? find. Yeah, I'll it's just good. It um, I watched it a few weeks ago. It was, it was pretty interesting because I knew the basics of it, but it really delved into the people that were involved and mm. the, um, you know, all the players. It, it, good information. It was very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so obviously, it's a, getting back on track, it's a complex strategy, right? Obviously, with it's got its supporters, it's got its detractors. Uh, whether one view short selling is is vital to market mechanisms, or or if you view it as just simply gambling at its finest, it, its role in financial markets is pretty much undeniable. Oh, absolutely, Adri. It Understanding short selling really enriches our comprehension of market mechanics and investment strategies. Now, next, we're going to examine Volkswagen's short squeeze. It's a dramatic real-world example of short selling's impact, so stay with us. This episode is brought to you by the Monteverdi Group. In the world of finance, it's not just about managing your wealth. It's about navigating the journey with wisdom and foresight. The Monteverdi Group stands with the visionaries and the innovators, offering bespoke financial strategies that align with your unique life goals. Whether you're eyeing the markets, planning your retirement oasis, or securing a legacy for generations to come, our team is dedicated to crafting a path that respects your ambitions and values. So what sets the Monteverdi Group apart? Well, it's our commitment to personalized service. We understand that every financial journey is unique, and that's why we tailor our approach to fit your individual needs. With a keen eye on the global financial landscape and a deep understanding of our clients, we strive to provide guidance that not only meets but exceeds expectations. So come and join us at the Monteverdi Group, where your financial aspirations meet our expertise. We're here to navigate the complexities of wealth management together, ensuring that every step taken is a step towards achieving your dreams. So discover a partnership that values your vision. Visit MonteverdiGroup.com to learn more about how we can support your financial journey. The Monteverdi Group, where your financial future is in dedicated hands. That's M-O-N-T-E-V as in Victor, E-R-D-E, group.com. Now for a tale that's as educational as it is dramatic, the Volkswagen short squeeze of 2008. Often described as the mother of all short squeezes, this event took the financial world by storm. Adri, can you set the stage? Yeah, Ryan, of course. Um, so this story begins in the midst of the 2008 global financial crisis. Volkswagen, like many companies, saw its share price decline. However, Unknown to the market, Porsche or Porsche, depending on depending on who you are, who you are, yeah, uh, was <laughs> quietly buying up Volkswagen shares, aiming to take over the company. Right. So, if you remember two thousand eight, and you remember uh, what was going on in the car uh, 
uh, market, right? So what was going on with Chrysler and um, oh, who owned Chrysler at the time? It was Mercedes Benz, but it was um, uh, yeah. uh, shoot. I can't. Daimler, no. Daimler Chrysler. Yeah. yeah, Daimler Chrysler. So Daimler was, yeah. Uh, but, if, you know, all the big manufacturers were really struggling. I would think, if I remember correctly, they ended up bailing out GM. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. GM got bailed out Ford. Ford I thought got, Ford didn't take it, though. I don't remember. It was a long yeah. time ago. Um, so <laughs> There was a lot of bad There was a lot of, there was a lot going on, yes. Um, but, so, by October 2008, I'm just going to go Porsche. Because that's how I've always said Porsche controlled a significant portion of Volkswagen shares, much more than the market actually realized. Okay, so how does this lead to a short squeeze? What a great great question. Uh, So at the time, many traders were short selling Volkswagen shares, right? But because we were talking about what was going on in that in that industry, betting that the price would continue to fall amidst the financial crisis. However, when Porsche announced it had acquired a majority of Volkswagen shares, it caught the market off guard, and suddenly there were far fewer free-floating shares available than short sellers needed to buy back to cover their positions. Oh, so when they went to buy back, there wasn't anything available because Porsche had bought it. Had bought the majority. It okay, so what... <laughs> This is unprecedented. What yes. what happens next? So, um, yeah, the uh, the announcement triggered a frantic rush by short sellers to cover their positions, which makes complete sense. But since there were so few shares available, the price of Volkswagen's uh, shares skyrocketed. Yeah, at, at yeah, one point, Porsche isn't selling. No, they're not a seller. No, it's only the other the other people. Yeah. We got we got problems. So at one point, Volkswagen's share price more than quadrupled, oh, briefly making it the world's most valuable company by market cap. Okay, so <laughs> these implications. Please tell me the implications of these. Uh, yeah, I mean the the impl- implications. It were they, it was vast, right? Short sellers faced uh, colossal colossal losses with estimates running into multiple billions of dollars. Uh, meanwhile, the dramatic swing in Volkswagen's share price caused massive volatility in the market, which was already uh, in volatile. A, a volatile and a really bad p- position, which obviously affected not just individual traders, but also affected the institutional investors as well. Okay. All right. So let's... Let's put on our Monday morning quarterback hat uh-huh. and what lessons can investors take away from the Volkswagen short squeeze? In this case, I think it serves as a, a powerful lesson on the risks of short selling, which is obvious, right? Particularly in the danger of crowded uh, trades where many start to bet against the same stock. It's kind of like the herd mentality. So, mm-hmm. You know, if everybody, if, if you hear on the news, which you don't, but if you hear it on the news, hey, you should start short selling this stock, it's too late, right? Oh, yeah. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. It also, I think, highlights the importance of what? Due diligence, right? We've talked about it all the time and being aware of all factors that could affect a stock's price. So that's doing your research, right? Get in there and figure out what's going on. Not just uh, so it's not just relying on market sentiment, but also look at corporate actions, ownership structures, et cetera. 
in a, in a sidebar, a friend of mine on my way into work this morning, uh, sent me a video of somebody tracking a politician's stock purchases and sells. Oh, and the video was showing the gains and everything on this specific individual in in the portions. And, and my friend said, is this legitimate? Which by the time it's in the news and that politician discloses the purchases probably past the, you know, we should, the best option. Right. Can we create like an algorithm? You know, they, 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 that kid tracked Elon Musk's jet. It's already it, created. We can track it in real time what they're doing. Not in real time. They, well, to, you have to, you can't track that in real time because you have to wait for them to disclose it. And I, I don't know the exact legalities. I believe it's 30 days they have to disclose. Oh, it's way too late. Jesus. Eyes and cells. Yeah, but no, um, but we need something that's like. Oh, real time. Maybe I illegal. That, but you, yeah, right. you, there's no legal way no. to do that. Um, but there's plenty of hackers. Wait. I'm sure. I uh, Let's be fair. I'm sure somebody is so, tracking that. Probably. They are not publishing that information because they are They've doing been. a lot, lot well, which kind of goes back to this, this short squeeze of it's a classic case of the market being outsmarted by unforeseen strategic moves that Porsche was doing that mm. nobody saw. Nobody saw. Nobody was paying attention. Uh, and I think it really underscores the unpredictability of financial markets in general because, you know, even the most convincing trade can turn against you to due to unexpected developments. Here, you know, Porsche, we were talking about GameStop earlier, all very similar types of, of of sentiments. Um, so for short sellers, it, it, it's a reminder specifically for short sellers of the need for caution and comprehensive risk management strategies that we've discussed. Yeah. And, and for Porsche, it was a strategic move that really had a, it was temporarily, but it was a spectacular impact yeah, on, a, on Volkswagen. Absolutely. Um, and the, the short sellers' yeah. pockets. Uh, and uh, although you know Porsche's their their victory, as you said, was was short lived, uh, the fallout from the squeeze and subsequent legal and financial challenges complicated their takeover plans for for Volkswagen. You know, but the whole saga is is a testament to how complex and interconnected financial strategies and and corporate maneuvers can can really be. Yeah, I, I agree that. The Volkswagen short squeeze of, of 2008 really remains one of the most dramatic episodes in, in financial history, illustrating the volatile dance between strategy, speculation, and, and market forces. So, Adri, thank you for unpacking this complex event for our listeners today. Uh, my pleasure, Ryan. And it's a, I, I think it's a story that continues to fascinate um, and, and really teach us about the power dynamics of the stock market. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey through financial strategies, market mechanics, and the tales of mayhem that remind us of the ever-present risks and rewards in investing. We look forward to bringing you more stories from the world of money mar- mavericks and mayhem, And so until next time, stay savvy and stay cautious. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. 
To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC.